0: Psalm 100 is a blessing for the preacher when in studying the Word of God to preach the providence of God throughout the week and in the course of the worship service shines so brightly, whether it's the psalm that was read or whether it was the psalms that were sung. it is very comforting to know that God leadeth His people. And this morning, we want to praise and thank Him. Say amongst the heathen, we read in Psalms. Say amongst the heathen, the Lord reigneth, and He surely doth reign. Psalm 100. I'm going to read the entire psalm again. With no apologies. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, He is God. It is He that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people, and the sheep of His pasture. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving, and into His courts with praise. Be thankful unto Him and bless His name. For the Lord is good, and His mercy is everlasting, and His truth endureth to all generations. May the Lord bless the reading of His words. As we come this morning to this last and final Verse In this glorious Psalm 100, one cannot but be greatly humbled by its divine truth. That word, truth of God, has come up much this morning. Not only in the Psalms that was read, but also in the Psalms we sang, and in the hymns we sang. And yet, as we approach this final verse, in this final few words of Psalm 100, Verse 5, there is a sense of great humility which should arise within our hearts and our minds as we ponder how God's truth endures to all generations. For in many ways, this last part of verse 5 is the very pillar and foundation of this entire psalm 100 it puts it into perspective for what he has said up till now people rejoice in god's people rejoice in but yet this latter part this last verse verse 5 and its latter words are the very pillar of everything the psalmist has already declared. Everything he declared in this entire psalm will be true to all generations. And the more I contemplated on that divine truth, the littler and more insignificant I became in my own sight. That what we are doing this morning is God's people, in worshiping and praising God, in reading and studying Psalm 100, God's people have been doing for generations. Their passing changed it not, nor will ours. Centuries and generations and kingdoms have come and gone. Men have sought to make their name something big in the world, and they're gone. And yet, this Psalm 100 continues to echo amongst God's people to this very generation. And if the Lord delays His coming, shall continue to echo in the following generations. What a glorious truth, and yet very humbling It's divine summons to come before His presence with singing and into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise is one which extends to all generations. Beloved, we are not the first generation to echo its thanksgiving and praise, nor shall we be the last. For like all flesh, 1 Peter says, For like all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass, we wither and we fall away. We don't endure unto all generations. That's why I say this latter part shows how little and insignificant we are in comparison to the eternity of God and His eternal everlasting truth. we wither and fall away. Yet the glory of God shall last forever. For His kingdom, the psalmist said in 145, His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and His dominion endureth through all generations. Endureth through all. Generations, how little and insignificant is our brief lifetime, dearly beloved, in the light of God's eternity and everlasting kingdom. So this psalm ends majestically, humbling the servant who is glad and who comes in his presence with singing, humbling all those who know that he's God. That are His people. The sheep of His pasture. It's what we are. Yet fleeting. Exciting the heart and spirit of thanksgiving and praise as we enter into His courts and into His gates. It's that which makes us thankful unto Him. And to bless His name. Because not only is He good and His mercy everlasting. But His truth or faithfulness endureth. To all generations. His songs of praise and thanksgiving shall not be silenced by our passing from this present life. Nor will our end be the end of such praise and thanksgiving. What a humble thought. But they shall continue unaltered and unblemished by time the wickedness of men, demons, angels, even the gates of hell themselves. For His truth, His faithfulness, the psalmist declares, shall endure to all generations. That's why I love the King James. It's the one that puts the word endureth in there. It endureth. Why? Because it has great opposition. Opposition and the gates of hell, to the wickedness of men, to fallen angels. It has great opposition, but the psalmist assures us as we lift up our praise to God. It's not temporary. It's not something that shall vanish. It's not something that shall fail. It's not something that shall fall. It's something that shall endure to all generations. How little and significant are we, but yet how does it help us to lift our praise unto God? Because it shall not cease with our departing out of this world. It shall not cease with our death, but it shall go on on to every generation. What a comfort and encouragement for God's people. If nothing else in this entire psalm should set our hearts and minds to humble thanksgiving and praise unto God, then surely, beloved, this divine truth of God's everlasting and enduring faithfulness and truth must. That's why this entire psalm, uh, I believe, is built on, this last, on these last few words. Encouraging us and exciting us to sing the praise. Let the heathen know the Lord reigneth. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. And His truth endureth to all generations. Again, I wish to thank the providence of God because there has never been a more timely and more relevant truth for us as this truth is for us today concerning the truth of God. And I'm praying that God would give me grace to help you understand the significance, the importance of these three attributes of God in verse 5 the significance they have with one another. The unbreakable bond and divine harmony of all three of these attributes in verse 5. The goodness of God, the mercy of God, and the truth or faithfulness of God. There are many who are quick to proclaim the goodness and mercy of the Lord. You can go anywhere this day, in any place that calls themselves a church. And oh, you will hear loudly how they say, Oh, God is good. And He is. And they should. They'll say, God is merciful. And He is. And they should. Yet when it comes to His truth, they kind of overlook that or neglect that. They don't see that God's truth is important to understanding His goodness and His mercy. You can't divorce His truth from His goodness and mercy, otherwise you have a sensual, emotional thing rather than a truthful experience. God's goodness and God's mercy according to the psalmist. And I believe this is why the Holy Spirit ended it with the truth. God's goodness and God's mercy is always must always be in conjunction and in accordance to His divine truth. And that's what I want to take the time this morning to show you. I'm probably preaching to the choir, but like Peter said, I'm not troubled about telling you something you already know. We can always be more established in those things we already know. But this is really important and relevant for our day and age because the truth of God is what people are ignoring and neglecting when it comes to the goodness and mercy of God. And we can't do such a thing because that is an offense to God. It's an offense to His goodness and to His mercy. His truth endureth to all generations. Do you notice that Paul, when he's writing to Timothy and therefore writing to us, every generation. He says, the turning away of one's ear from the truth, from the truth, they'll start to turn to fables. That's a desire for a mere emotional and sensual satisfaction, rather than the truth. That's what is prevalent everywhere today. People desire an emotional, sensual satisfaction. And they believe the goodness and mercy of God supplies that. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying they're denying totally the truth. They're just not exalting it or bringing it in accordance to the truth. The goodness and mercy of God. They're leaving that out. We can't do that. Follow me this morning because I want to impress upon your heart the importance of truth when we're talking to others or declaring or proclaiming the goodness and mercy of God. Do not, do not believe that you can divorce truth from the goodness and mercy of God. You cannot. You cannot. Justice, Psalm 89, 14 says, Justice and judgment are the habitation of thy throne. Justice and judgment are the habitation of thy throne. God is a just God and He will perform judgment. It's the habitation of His throne. Mercy and truth shall go before thy face. So we have a throne that's a habitation of justice and judgment. And what proceeds from that throne, according to the psalmist, is the mercy of God, but mercy coupled or in accordance with truth. I have never seen in over in my 40 years and more of Christianity where the truth has been so denied and rejected by those who profess to know Scripture than today. They are quick to say, oh, God is love. God is merciful. God is good. But somehow they seek to divorce truth from all of that. There's, getting ahead of myself, there's a situation now of a predominant preacher who has... Been guilty of doing that same thing. And now he finds himself trying to defend his position. The love of God is important, but the love of God is never without truth, even though man hates that. You can't sever, you cannot divorce the love of God, mercy of God, goodness of God from truth. You cannot. But man thinks that he has been given that ability. Uh, from God which he hasn't that's why the church is in so much trouble and I hope and pray we'll see that this morning and we'll be encouraged to be reminded that the goodness and mercy of God must always be accompanied with the truth of God. All the paths of the Lord Psalm 25:10 says all the paths all the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth. You see how the Bible over and over couples these two together? There's no mercy where there's no truth. And God's truth is always with mercy. Psalms 85 10 declares mercy and truth are met together. Mercy and truth are met together. It's like they've combined, they've joined together. It's like God has put them together. What God has put together, let no man put asunder. <clears throat> Mercy and truth are met together. They're met together. You can't separate them. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Righteousness, peace can't be had without righteousness. You see this? You see how God in His infinite wisdom and His knowledge, how He can couple these things harmoniously together. And what we try to do as mankind, we try to separate those things because our finite man's minds cannot comprehend how God can do that. How can I show love and the truth of God? How can I show the righteousness of God is the peace of God? And so what we do is we divorce truth from those those things so that we might be able to better understand or we think better reach people. Careful. That's a dangerous trap to fall in. Because when we once begin to compromise the truth of God, a little leaven leveleth a whole lump. Beloved, we live in a day and age where there's not no small wedge between God's people. There's a huge abyss. And it's growing wider. Unfortunately. It's growing wider. Let us be careful that we not fall under that same trap and that same temptation. Because in doing so, we sacrifice the truth. And I'm getting ahead of myself, but the truth is what sets us free. It's what sets us free. God cannot love you without truth. What came by Jesus Christ? Our brother read it this morning. He read that first John chapter 1 in our prayer meeting. And I'm going, providence, light, 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 light. And we'll be looking at that in a few, few minutes. Light, why, why the light? Because the light shows the truth. I'm getting ahead of myself, but the evil men will not come to that light because he doesn't. He despised the truth. You see what he's despising? The truth. So what we say is keeping in the darkness and we'll hide him from the light until we deem it's right and proper to show him or her. Be careful. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Don't separate them. They've kissed. There's an intimacy there. Listen to me and get a hand. I'm going to show you at the end of the sermon. But you know, we cherish the divine truth that God is faithful and truthful. Do we not? Do we not? We couldn't have a relationship with God if we didn't think He was truthful. We cherish the fact that He's a God of truth. In fact, read Psalm 139. We'll quote that a little bit later. The psalmist says, Hey, search me and know me. Know my thoughts. Why? See if there's any wicked thing in me. And cleanse me from all these things. We cherish the fact that God is truthful. Don't we require that of each other? Why don't you be truthful? Isn't the fact that we don't like liars? If you're a true child of God, you don't like liars. I have a problem with people who lie to me. One time I can... Maybe forgive him, and try again. Lie to me twice or three times, and I'm gonna have trouble believing you anymore. You can't trust a liar, and so we're grateful that God is truthful. Wouldn't that be a bad? That be a bad thing if God wasn't truthful to us. God, what's wrong with me? God said, I can't tell you. What have I done? I can't. I can't tell you. No, God, tell me what I've done. I want to know. Search me, my thoughts, my heart. I want to get rid of this this, 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 this separating me and you. I want to get rid of that which drives you from my bosom. I don't want it. I can't do that unless you're truthful with me. Relationships can only be built on truth. That's why so many marriages fail, because they lie to one another. Christian relationships speak one another the truth to one another, Zachariah says. Speak the, law, speak the truth in love, the New Testament says. Our relationship as Christians must be based on truth. If you're lying to me, how can we ever build a relationship? One of the biggest problems in this America is we're superficial liars. We're hypocritical. Oh, everything's fine. Yeah, we're okay. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm good with you. Then you walk away and go, man, I can't stand being the presence of that person. Or man, they just upset me so much. That's why relationships and churches, fellowships break and are divided because people can't be honest with one another. Lord has a remedy for that. Forgive each other seven times 70. Why? Because that's how much you're going to sin against somebody. That's just how weak and frail we are. So we ask for forgiveness. And when we ask for forgiveness, God says, forgive them. That's how relationships are built. It's trust. It's the truth. There's a danger and temptation, especially in today's society, to believe that the goodness and mercy of God is not always compatible or consistent with the truth of God. I want you to understand the love of God, so I'm going to deny the truth of God for right now. And just try to show you the love of God. Because the love of God will lead you to the truth. No, the love of God must always be in the truth. You see, that's one of the problems we have in this generation. And that's the big problem many preachers in this day and age at this very moment are facing. They've severed the truth from love. God never does that. God never does that in His Word. Never. He never says, I'm going to sacrifice truth for my love. Never. That's not real love. You know what real love is? Telling you the truth. That there are times when the truth of God, they say, must be divorced or made temporarily subservient to His love. Mercy and goodness. Never really ignoring it. They never denied the importance of God's truth. They wished to merely temporarily hide it. Conceal it. For love's sake. Wouldn't that fall under the description of deception? Doesn't Satan himself have ministers of what? Righteousness? Professing to be caring and loving, yet in reality they're out to destroy you? Why are we so afraid that the truth is detrimental to the love and mercy of God? It's not. God has not left this discretion up to man. You decide when to proclaim truth, and you decide when to proclaim my love. Man has difficulty himself at times to speak the truth in love. God's word doesn't, never has. In every occasion where the Lord met somebody as he walked amongst men, he always loved in the truth. You know that? Always. I don't care if you're talking about the woman by the well. You're right, he's not your husband. You're not living right. Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. healing blind healing blind men and people that are lame and he'd say go ahead you can leave sin no more the woman that was going to get stoned he said go sin no more there was always a truth to it don't sin anymore we have great difficulty speaking god's truth let alone our own if we have any in love we think it's going to be offensive. That's why a lot of the gospel tracts today, there's nothing offensive in it. Oh We don't want to offend the sinner. We want to woo them in. No, you preach the love and mercy of God, but in accordance to truth. And today's society, that's what they want to hear. They want to, they want to hear the love and mercy. They want, to, they want their emotions and their senses to be stirred. And so Christians are becoming frustrated because of the lack of conversions. They're coming frustrated because the church is small and it seems like there's not a lot of conversions nowadays. And so they're, they're in a sense, divorcing truth from the goodness and mercy and love of God, thinking that maybe later on we can slip it in. Maybe me showing you love will eventually prove the truth. No, you... Show love in truth. You know the greatest, the greatest moment you ever experienced the truth of God as a Christian? You know when that was? When God says you're vile, you're wicked, you're undeserving of a mercy. That's the truth. And you said, you're right. You know what that truth brought you? To repentance. To the goodness of God. That truth led you to the goodness of God, which leads to repentance. Romans chapter 2. God was truthful about you. Did you like it? I mean, did you sit there and go, Oh, I'm so glad sh- God showed me that I'm a miserable worm and I don't deserve any of His love and mercy. That makes me feel so good. No. Nah. Didn't make you feel good at all. In fact, it humbled you. And yet in the depth of that humility... And that feeling of insignificance and unworthiness. Oh, the goodness of God rushed into your soul like a mighty wave and rolled over your heart and your mind. And Man, you could feel it inside your heart and your soul, the goodness of God just filling you up sin. But God is good. So you thanked God for being truthful to you. And if we cherish God's truthfulness so so much, why do we deny it those who know it not? Because we think it's going to offend them? Going to drive them away? That's why God's word exhorts us to Proverbs 23. Buy the truth and sell it not. Don't compromise it. Like the study that Arnett does on that a little bit, talking about buying the truth. It costs something. It costs something. It costs something for us to buy the truth. Do you know that? It's going to cost you something to be truthful on the job, telling people who need Christ that they need Christ. It's going to cost us something for the truth. It's going to cost us in this wicked society. Don't sell it out. Don't compromise it. Also wisdom and instruction and understanding. Buy it, don't sell it. Proverbs 3, verses 3 and 4 says, Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. It's an amazing phrase. I don't have time to get into it, but you ought to meditate. Let them not forsake thee. Why would they forsake me? Maybe because we don't honor them. Now, God said He'll never leave us nor forsake us. But here the the Proverbs says, the the wisdom of the preacher says, let not mercy and truth forsake thee. What's He say then? Bind them about thy neck. Carry them with you wherever you go. Bind them there. But not only that, he says, write them upon the table of thine heart. Bind them around your neck so that all can see and write them upon the table of the heart. Why? Because thou desirest truth in the inward parts. Psalm 51, truth in the inward part. God honors truth. God is glorified in truth. God loves truth. Then why do we think that we can divorce it from goodness and mercy? Oh, they wouldn't know how to take that. It'd be too severe. They'd look at you as being judgmental. not of it spoken in love. I don't have to compromise or sell out the truth to prove the, my love for sinners or my love for God. I don't have to do that. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee, bind them about thy neck, write them upon the table of thine heart, so shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. That is a blessing, isn't it? So shalt I find favor and good understanding, not only in the sight of man, but in the sight of God. Why? Because you're binding mercy and truth about your neck and you're writing upon the table of your heart. You're merciful and yet you're truthful. Your truth is filled with mercy. Your mercy is in accordance to truth. I mean, that's a divine balance we have a problem with and that's why we, have, that's why we try to sever it. God doesn't. And God says, don't you even, even think that I've given you the capability to sever such a thing. It's not in your ability to do that. Because you'll abuse it. You'll either abuse my mercy or you'll abuse my truth. Don't do that. Follow the Word of God. Follow God's Word. God has not given us the discretion to sever those two any way we want. What would I do, preacher? What do I do? Learn by God's grace to balance them both. Let them meet together. Let them kiss together. Bind them about your neck. Write them upon the table of your heart. And pray God give you the wisdom and the grace to balance them out that you don't sacrifice one for the other. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. An that amazing? Grace. Grace and truth. Grace, yes, but truth. The Lord said in John 14, what do you say? I am the life, the way, and the truth? No, He said, I'm the truth. Right? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the way to the truth which leads to life. There can dearly beloved be no goodness and mercy of God where there are not where they are not built and founded upon his truth there cannot be it's a corrupted goodness and mercy we're proclaiming if it's not founded and built upon his truth for his truth beloved and listen to me his truth and we find that here in Psalm 100 his truth exalts his mercy and his goodness to the highest His truth exalts them. You take truth away, you have nothing but emotionalism. And because His truth endureth, it gives the true believer the greatest hope and comfort in His goodness and mercy which He promises them. It endures forever. So what He's promised, some reads this, and His truth as His faithfulness. They both coincide together: His truth or His faithfulness endureth. The, this is why this whole psalm is built on this latter part. If this is the pillar of it, why? How can we do all these things with assurance and confidence and hope? Because God can't lie. His faithfulness, His truth endureth. We can count on it. What God has promised, what God has promised, He'll do. He promised me gladness. He said I could come in His presence with singing. He said He's God. He's made us. I'm His people. I'm His sheep. He said, come into my gates with praise, with thanksgiving, into my courts with praise. Thank me, bless me. Why? Because my truth endureth forever. You can always do that. will never change. I'll never change. I'll never change. Never change. Never change. Everything in this world is changeable. Heard somebody say the other day, nothing stays the same. And I said, oh, let me correct you. God does. Oh, yeah, well. No, no, not all, yeah, well. I don't know if the Lord shall delay His coming or not. That's all in His divine providence, in His perfect wisdom and knowledge. I I know that not. I know that if the Lord should take me out today and delay His coming, I know that my wife and my child, my daughter and her husband and family, And every one of you that are yet alive, children or old, the truth shall endure. It is not extinguished when my light is put out. Because it's God's truth. What comfort that gives an old man. What assurance that gives me. We live in a day and age to where even the strongest Christians, and don't lie to yourself this morning, we're talking about truth. Even the strongest Christians sometimes question what God is doing. Nothing is happening. It seems as though nothing's going on. We begin, we begin, we will never probably publicly admit it, but in our hearts and our minds, we begin to question and doubt some things. I'm here to tell you that His truth endureth to all generations. We're not the keeper of it. We're not the preserver of it. We're not the author of it. Yes, the church is the pillar of truth. It's just the pillar. But the author of truth, the ground of truth, the essence of truth is God. And God is eternal. And God says, my word shall never... (laughs) You see how this last part of verse 5 is the very pillar of everything in this psalm. This is what exalts... The gladness in the heart. This is what raises the praises in the songs. This is what raises the thanksgiving and the praise. This is what gives us hearts full of thankfulness. This is what gives us that courage to bless His name. This is why we're confident that we are His people. Not only that, but the sheep praise. God, the sheep of His pastor. Why? Because His truth endureth to all generations. We know God cannot lie. Stay with me a few more minutes. You know, though Herod feared John, listen to me, there's something that caught my attention this morning. It's one of the verses where he say, 40 years, how'd they miss that? He ever happened to you in Scripture? <laughs> All the time. Though Herod, the Scripture says, feared John, he feared him, it said that he knew that he was a just man and holy. And it says, when he heard him, he did many things. What John told him to do. And it said he heard him gladly. Now people today say, Preacher, don't rock the boat. Let the providence and sovereignty of God, and I'm not believing that. The Lord knows my heart. I'm not doing that at all. But this is what some people say. Just let it take time. And when the right time is there, then maybe hopefully something will sink into Herod. But don't rock the boat. Don't say anything that would disrupt All these things that's going on with Herod. Yet the Bible says that Herod could not keep him safe. Read that text. That's what it means when it says he couldn't keep him or he kept him. Herod was protecting him from his evil wicked wife. If you read the text. But Herod could not keep him safe when he declared the truth. It's not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. Herod could keep her at bay until John said, put the finger over to her and said, see that woman, you're sinning. And that woman got mad. So mad that she said, well, I'll just have my daughter seduce my husband with her dancing. And when he offers her half the kingdom, I'll have John's head on my platter. Of all the things that John the Baptist did when he walked amongst men, he loses his head for declaring one truth. He told the Pharisees and Sadducees, he called them vipers. He said, "What well, are you come in here, you need to repent, uh, flee from the wrath to come, and so forth and so on. Nothing happens. But he tells one woman and one man they can't do what they're doing, and he loses his head. It's not lawful for thee. Was John not declaring the goodness and mercy of God? Of course he was. The law is our schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. John was saying, listen, you need God because you're sinning against the law of God. Herod, if he would have understood really the things that John said, Herod would have repented. But he didn't. Well, preacher, you just can't be too bold with the truth with people nowadays. You've got to come at it subtly. What do you consider subtly? I'm not saying beat them over the head, but I mean, what do you consider subtly? Have you ever heard anybody say when you're quoting scripture, oh, you're judging. I'm, I'm not judging. I'm simply reading what's in the book. This is what it says. Let me tell you what we've created in the last 20 years of Christianity I know. We've created a bunch of spiritually spineless and cowardly Christians who, because they're afraid of being persecuted, talked about, or wronged, don't defend the truth of God, but try to hide themselves. Behind what they call the goodness and mercy of God, when all along they're doing nothing for the truth of God and nothing for the goodness and mercy of God. Again, I'm not saying we should go out and beat them, browbeat them with the Bible. I'm not saying we go out and be rude and obnoxious. I'm simply saying that we need to find that divine balance of mercy and truth. Why? Stay with me a few more minutes. By mercy and truth. This is what Herod missed. By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. You see there? Not just mercy, truth. And by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. By the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. By the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. Well, if they just learn the love of God, they'll stop doing their wicked things. Maybe. Not saying it's impossible. But I guarantee you that, that, that loving God will be accompanied with a guilt of sin and fear of God, according to Scripture. In Germany, we was interviewing a new Member, well, not a new member. But somebody who wanted to become a member. A lady, she come by very strong, charismatic background, and we interviewed her because she wanted to become a member of the church. So me, a couple of men went over there, <coughs> and her husband was there, and we sat down and talked to her. And so we got around to her conversion. I said, "Well, tell me something about your conversion." She goes, "Oh, it was amazing." I said, "Well, it started out good. Conversion is amazing." She goes, "Yeah, I was in my in my living room one day, and I sat down, and suddenly in the corner of my living room, a blue light happened." and it got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and and it just consumed the whole room. And I just knew that was God telling me that he loved me. So I just said, okay, God, I'm gonna become a Christian. I said, ma'am, you are not a candidate for membership. And we began to explain to her what conversion, biblical conversion truly is. You see this error in a lot of professing believers today. They are overabundant when speaking about goodness and mercy of, and love of God. And yet when it comes to the truth, they divorce it. They deny it. They reject it. It's not a very good or strong mercy, love and goodness that has no truth. You know that? Our brother read it this morning, John 1. I was, I was ready to jump out of my seat do a backflip like you always threaten to do, but didn't do it. Everyone that doeth evil hates the light. Listen to me. This is scripture. John chapter 3. He's, he 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 spoke this morning or read from John 1, where it talked about the Lord being the light of the world, the light of the world, the light of the world, he came to the light of the world. It's everyone that doeth evil that hateth the light, neither cometh to the light. Why? lest his deeds should be reproved or exposed. Keep me in the darkness. I don't want to come to the light so that you can expose my sin and error. But it says at the same time, but he that doeth truth, there's that word truth again, he that doeth truth cometh to the light. Simply because evil men hate the light of truth, doesn't mean we can help them to come into the light by keeping them in the darkness of their evil. You stay where you are in your darkness and I'll come to you. Oh No, no, I'm, I'm going to shine the light of truth so you'll come out. But somehow man thinks he's got this thing better figured out than God. Come out from amongst them and be ye clean. What's election mean? God has called out people unto himself, called them out of where? Called them out of the world. He's called us out of darkness. The gospel calls men out of darkness, doesn't call them in darkness, calls them out of it. You can't do that without light, which is the truth. That which the true believer most admires and thanks God for is His truth and faithfulness. Revealing and exposing, beloved, as it may be, we know that it is out of His rich goodness and mercy towards us that He is truthful and faithful to us. Search me, O God. Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. <laughs> I'm always amazed reading that text no matter how many years I've read it I'm always amazed that the psalmist doesn't just want him searched he wants his heart the psalmist is someone who knows the depravity of the heart the heart is wicked above all things it's depraved and a true Christian knows what's in his heart but David said search that don't lie to me search it try me Know my thoughts. Go as deep as you can into my most vilest, wicked thoughts, into the deepest, darkest part of my heart. Search me and try me and see if there be any wicked way in me. David, you're morbid. No, David knew. He knew that only truth could set him free because he says, and lead me in the way ever." lasting. He knew that God wouldn't condemn him for that, being a child of God, but that God would cleanse him. If thou, O Lord, should mark iniquities, Psalm 130, who shall stand? Who shall stand? The psalmist said, nobody can stand if you marked iniquities, but there is forgiveness with thee. See, He's not denying the truth. He's simply saying the truth. If you marked iniquities, I couldn't stand. But you forgive. It's because you're truthful. Thou wouldst marked iniquities who shall stand, but there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. Feared. The fear of God is the beginning of Wisdom. If knowing the truth sets men free, John chapter 8. And if by mercy and truth iniquity is purged, Proverbs 16. Listen to me in closing, beloved members of Reformed Baptist Church and those listening. If these things are true, then let us follow Paul's exhortation to Timothy. Let us in meekness oppose themselves. They oppose themselves to the truth. They resist it. They deny it. That's what he's saying. Let us in meekness oppose themselves, those who oppose themselves, if God preadventure, give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. You see that? In meekness opposing those who oppose themselves, who resist the truth, who deny it if God preadventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. You don't win them to the truth by keeping it from them. Why do we believe that our actions of benevolence, as good and kind as they might be, could ever sway a sinner to repent and turn to God? That is what has bothered me this entire week with the current circumstances going around about preeminent preacher. Why do we believe that anything we do, regardless if it's the greatest benevolent act mankind can do, could ever sway a sinner to turn to God? The truth Is what turns a sinner. And it's not my truth, it's God's truth. Beloved, may we take courage and strength and comfort in this last portion of Psalm 100. We might come back and finish it next week. There's some more in there I want to look at what the Lord does, but I wanted to emphasize this this morning in the light of God's providence, not only in the world, but in my own life, in our church's life, the, the, the significance of truth in the light of God's goodness and his mercy. Never, never divorce them, okay? And even then, when the word of God declares that there will be times when judgment is turned away backward, Isaiah 59 Judgment is turned away backward, and justice standeth the far off, for truth is fallen in the street. Truth is fallen in the street. That's when it was once preached and declared, now it's trampled on. That's happening today. It's falling in the street. Even when those things happen, even when, and when equity cannot enter, even when that happens, yet, even though he says truth faileth, it seems like it faileth, And he that departeth from evil maketh himself a prey. In other words, maketh himself a madman. That's what it means. You depart from evil, you make yourself a prey. Why? Because truth has fallen the streets. It seems like it's failing. Nobody's uh, listening anymore. They're trampling on the truth of God. That's a perfect uh, description of today. Even though that happens. Psalm 100, verse 5 should encourage our hearts. Let us take courage and find great hope and comfort why, for his truth endureth to all generations. And I don't have time. Like I said, maybe next week. It's not our truth; it's his truth. It endureth. Every generation of believers, listen to me, and I promise. Every generation of Christians, every generation has faced their struggles when it comes to the truth of God. Every look at church history. Every generation has faced their struggle. We're facing ours. But regardless of all the struggles every generation before us went through, we're standing here today reading Psalm 100 and declaring His truth has endured through the times of the apostles. After that, the time of Reformation, the Puritans, through the early times of the 20th century to the 21st century, it's endured. What a comfort that is for us. May God give us grace to pay heed to what the psalmist tells us this morning. And may we never divorce or compromise the truth of God for His goodness and mercy, because that would be a sin against those things. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank You, Lord, for Your Word. We thank You, Lord, for how it encourages us and strengthens us to meet the perils of these latter days. You said yourself through Paul. That the latter days shall be perilous. Men shall be lovers of themselves. Tops the list. But then he goes on to say, preach the word. Preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Whether they receive it or not, preach it in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, uh, exhort with all long suffering. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine but they shall turn their ears away from the truth unto fables. Help us, dear God, we pray. Help us to be faithful to thy truth. We thank you that you alone preserve it, keep it, and guard it. We pray now, Father, that you'd be honored and glorified in all that we say and do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.